On today's episode of the Digging In Podcast, we talk about the Koheleth from Ecclesiastes. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons From series. We are right now closing in on our last three episodes of the entire Old Testament. I mean, come on, guys. This is pretty epic. You guys have made it through all kinds of episodes, all kinds of characters, and all kinds of stories. So you are cruising through, and you've made your way to right at the end of the Old Testament, and we are just working through a little hodgepodge week of final few characters. And today is one that many of you may not even have known that is a character, and that's totally okay. If you never caught this, totally fine as you've read the Bible. In fact, we we skipped over this book altogether as we were working through the Bible, and this is actually kind of farther back in our um, chronology, so to speak. This is a one of the wisdom books, is the book of Ecclesiastes. If you heard in the intro, you're like, Koheleth, what the heck is that? That is That doesn't even sound like a word. Well, it's because that's primarily because it's it's a Hebrew word and uh, it means teacher or, or preacher. And so the word itself is kind of in a, in a lot of senses is, is aimed more towards the teacher. And so this is the teacher of Ecclesiastes. I just kind of wanted to flex my Hebrew muscles there and say the word Koheleth. And uh, sorry for that because you didn't deserve that. There's no reason you should have had to hear that. But hey, here we are nonetheless. And uh, I'm really excited to walk through this with you and, and learn from the words of the Koheleth. So without further ado, let's go ahead and grab our Bible, pen, and paper, and let's dig in. Father God, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity today to not just sit down and read our Bible, but actually learn to love you. I know that's a weird concept, God, but as I sit here and I, and I pray about my own life and I pray for all those who might be listening, what I realize is that we spend so much time right now, especially in this series and, and what we're doing on the Digging In podcast, we spend a lot of time learning, a lot of time uh, thinking about you. And, and again, we miss the point of this because the whole point is that by doing this, we would then fall deeper in love with you as we learn the ways that you have intricately connected everything in the Bible together, the ways that you've, you've drawn lines between everything so that everything is connected. So it's not just a whole bunch of random collections of things, but it's actually all together weaved perfectly. God, that as we notice that we would actually fall deeper in love with how magnificent you are, how wonderful you are. So thank you for giving us a connected Bible. Thank you for giving us your holy words, perfect, and in their original uh, autographs that they are completely without error. God, so help us to break that down even more today by learning about another character, a a hidden character, and help us to learn from this confusing book and uh, figure out why it's so important even today and how it can help us in the day-to-day lives that we lead. We love you so much, God, and and we pray that you would open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to see, hear, and know everything that you want us to know today and to love you more because of it. All these things in your name. Amen. 
Right on, guys. So we are here in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've never turned to the book of Ecclesiastes, I uh, kind of don't blame you. For the most part, it is a it is a book that a lot of people kind of stay out of, uh, aside from the occasional random Bible study. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. And so one of the one of the main things that we need to look at if uh, for the book of Ecclesiastes is what is even going on. And so this is going to take a, like a minute or so of me just kind of describing the the general outline of the book. And there's a reason why I'm doing that, um, as there always is, but, uh, it's just, just hang with me here. So there are five sections in this book, um, from one, two, all the way to 12, seven. There's, there's just a, a bunch of sections, five sections of exactly what's happening. And the whole point of the book is it's a wisdom book. And so the words within this book are meant to translate uh, a wisdom of some kind to the reader. And the point of this, actually, the point of this wisdom book specifically is it's kind of a negative book. And what I mean by that is the book itself is is this teacher. And this teacher is basically calling out all the contradictions of the world. And you're like, what do you mean? How is this in the Bible? What do you mean, Finn? Well, <laughs> this is crazy. It's crazy that it's in the Bible. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is because it's so wild how realistic and humanistic this is. And what I mean by humanistic is not that it is centered on humans, but what I mean by that is that it's clearly written like through the inspiration of God, but by a human being who God was just like, you know what? It's okay that you call out contradictions. It's okay that you're confused. I'm okay with that. There's obviously a different end to it. We don't, we don't just leave it off in confusion. But the point is, this guy's going to call it a whole bunch of really confusing things. And he's going to say things like, well, why is it that, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Or why is it at, at times, why, do the, why does the good guy suffer and the bad guy prosper? Why do these things happen? This makes no sense, God. And so it's, it's a really cool book in that way because it is, it's relatively negative in the, in the way that some of these words read. And when we'll read a couple funny random statements that kind of bring home the idea that, hey, this world is not straightforward. Uh, things, things are confusing and it's okay to call these things out. We've talked about that with other characters as well. Uh, but in these five sections, there's, there's a really interesting design. So in one one, we read we read the opening words, and in one one we read the, these words that kind of just start the book out. And what it says is, the words of the some of you now say teacher or preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so now some people would say, well, this is Solomon. Maybe, maybe not. It's just a, it's just a teacher of some kind. Is is just the general perspective, um, and that's that word kohelet right? That's that teacher preacher word, one who gathers people together to teach them. And so in this, we're reading that someone else is writing those words, right? The teacher didn't write those words himself, most likely to say, here are my words, but talks in the third person. That's really not what happens. So most likely someone else is writing this book and putting together the collection of the things that this person has said. In fact, at the very end in 12, nine through 14, the teacher is done talking and the author of the book, the one who wrote the book is actually giving a summary 
And we see this come up again in 727. Uh, and in chapter 7, verse 27, we see this moment where the author steps in and says, these are the words of the preacher. And so there's clearly someone else writing these things down, whether they're, whether they have everything in front of them and they're just, you know, copying it um, and putting it all together into one, or they're listening and they're writing as they listen. I, who knows? But the point is there's a guy teaching and there's a guy writing. And that's important to us because actually at the very end, 12, 9 through 14, there's a summary of everything that was said, but it's a really unique summary. And we'll, we'll get there. It's actually the whole kind of actually the real point to everything being said is that while what the author says is true or while the, the teacher says is true, also think about this. And that's really interesting. So we'll get there. It's, that's weird. You're like, what? It, it makes sense. I promise. All right. So one verse two, right? So chapter one, verse two, right after the intro, it says vanity of vanities says the teacher vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So right then and there, you're reading this word hevel, hevel says the teacher, everything is hevel. And so that word hevel is, is a, it's vapor. Um, and, and it's, it's basically being, everything is temporary. It's fleeting. Nothing lasts. It's a, some people would say it's an enigma or a paradox. Um, and that's all throughout the Hebrew Bible. But this word hevel is used like approximately 40 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's used towards this idea of it being temporary or fleeting. So what he's saying is it's, it's temporary. It's temporary. Everything is temporary. Everything is fleeting. And so you're like, well, okay, this is already starting off relatively negative. This guy who's going to teach us is starting off with the fact that everything in this world is temporary and fleeting. And it's, uh, that's a, it's a rough way to start. Um, and then what you're going to read is that kind of theme just really continue on all throughout the book. And then this actually the book ends or the teacher ends his preaching in 12, eight with the exact same phrase. So one, two, all the way to 12, eight is a giant sandwich of negativity. <laughs> Your two buns, the two buns of the sandwich on the, on the beginning and end are hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel. Everything is temporary. Nothing lasts. It's all fleeting. And Everything inside that sandwich, the meat and the lettuce, the tomato, the bacon. I don't know how you like your burgers. I'm making a burger, not a sandwich now. But I don't know how you like your burgers. Uh, but this is a super, super negative burger. And we'll, and we'll get there. Uh, I mean, if you guys even, if you have a Bible that has titles, little head, head titles at every chapter, every area, you can just read those and you're like, oh, this is depressing. You know, like think, you read things like the vanity of self-indulgence, you know, um, fearing God. There's a time for everything. A really famous section in uh, Ecclesiastes, right? I mean, there's, there's just a whole bunch of, of stuff and it's like, I toil all the day long and then I wake up the next day and I toil even more. There's no end to my toil, right? I mean, and then you read in, in six, one, you read this idea of like, Hey, God's giving some people wealth and possessions and honor so that nothing, they'll, they'll lack nothing, but then God does not actually give them the ability to enjoy them. So what's the point of having things? It's like, there's just so many, there's so much confusion. This guy's going through so much. And he basically, one of the major themes he's talking about here is time, death, and chance. Time, death, and chance. Like everything in the world, there's a time for everything, including death and including chance. That there's nothing that we can do to defeat time, death, or chance. Time always moves forward right? It's no matter what we do, time will continue to move on. No matter what we do, what's at the end of the line for all of us is death. 
And chance is this random idea that there's just random stuff that happens all throughout the world. Some people would argue that that's not true, and I'm not here to argue for or against chance because that's not really my point today. My point is this idea of time and death, though, because the wisdom that's being presented here, remember, this is a, a wisdom book, but the wisdom being presented here by the teacher is that no matter what, at the end of the day, we all die. That even the the poorest man, the worst man in the history of mankind and the best human being, the most blessed and faithful man, they all die. No matter what happens on earth, our result is the same. And for the teacher, that bothers him to no end. At some level, he's like, what's the point then? What's the point of life if we all die? It's a really weird concept. You're like, what? What do you mean? Why would you think that? And you're like, well, (laughs) it's important to think about. What is the point? Like, what's the point of life if we all just die? Like, ask yourself that question right now. What is the point of living, even living a specific type of life if we're just going to die at the end of it? And that's the question the teacher is really trying to get. It's again, it's a wisdom book for a reason. There's a whole point to all this. Now, for the amount of negativity that, that spreads throughout this book and the maybe not negativity, but the amount of questioning and the confusion that spreads all throughout this book, there is a silver lining that kind of keeps repeating itself. And what he brings up over and over and over again, now it seems like because the, the negativity and the confusion is, is so heavy, we, it, it gets lost from time to time. But what he keeps bringing up, the teacher keeps bringing up is this concept that our lack of understanding about the control of life, meaning all that God is doing that we don't understand and all that is happening in the world that we just don't get, all that lack of understanding is actually the key to embracing the simple joys of day-to-day life. And that is what he calls, what the author calls the gift of God. He repeats it, you know, I don't know, like eight times, I think. I think it's like eight or nine, eight, between seven and 10 times, the author repeats the phrase, the gift of God. And what that's what the gift of God is surrounded by is this concept of time marches on. We're all going to die. You know, things, things don't need to be taken as seriously as they need to. Um, toil is toil. Trouble is trouble. Like all this stuff. Right. And every single time that those things are getting brought up, what he's saying is if you would just understand the brokenness, the jacked up, the confusion of the world around us and stop trying to, you know, ascertain or, or gain the understanding of why this is all happening. If you would stop searching for impossible answers, then you would actually be walking down a path of wisdom. And that wisdom is accepting the day-to-day simple joys of life, the gift of God. So the gift of God are the simple joys in a confusing and rather unjoy filled world. And that, that may cause pause for a second and it should, this, this should make you freeze just for a moment because this comes back to the the thoughts of the prophets. This comes back to the thoughts of some of um, the stories of other biblical characters. The idea is that If we know, Job is a big one, right? In this story, if we know that everything is confusing, or as the author says here, that everything is temporary and fleeting here on earth. If we really do know that, if we understand, if we get that and we can move forward, then I'm telling you what the author is telling you, what the the teacher is telling you here is that once we get that, 
then we are actually moving forward in the gift of God, which is to see the simple joys of life. The simple joys. So one of the main ways we see this is a really cool, a really cool passage here is chapter 3, 12 through 13. If you guys flip to chapter 3, right there, verses 1 through 8, what you're going to read is a time for everything. If you've heard the song, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, um, or there's a song, uh, Mumford and Sons uh, is, does a song with Baba Mall, um, a Senegalese guy, and, and they sing a song. It's really similar to Turn, Turn, Turn. Um, and it's just this, this, it's these words right here, straight from the Bible. It's that there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, right? And it's, it's a time to, a time to, it's a time for everything. So right after this section, we go into this God given task that lays out what we should be doing, how we should be living life. And then we get these phrase, this, this, this verses right here in three, 12 through 13. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction even in all their toil. This is the gift of God. He's saying you're going to toil day in and day out, but there's really not much better than just being happy and joyful, knowing that there are simple joys in this world that God gives to us so that we would enjoy. And he says, eat and drink and find satisfaction in all your toil, in your job, the things that you struggle with, um, the, the hard relationships, find joy. He's saying it's our job at some level to actually find the joy. He says this again, and he says it first in 2, 24 through 26. He says it again in 4, 4 through 6, 5, 18 through 20, 8, 14 through 15, 9, 9 through 10, and 11, 7 through 12, 1. He says it a lot. He basically just keeps on repeating the fact that although there's so much toil, there's, there's so much, actually, here, here's a really great one. This is before, don't even let me speak more. Just let me read a, a Bible verse, right? 8, 14 through 15. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, all of this, it's meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil and all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. So we know the world is confusing. We know the world is full of contradictions. We know that the good guys suffer and the bad guys prosper at times, right? We know that we get people who lead our country who aren't great. We know that we get people who don't lead our country who probably should, right? And, and it's, it's these constant battles of contradictions and why, 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 why? Instead of searching for those whys, what the, what the author and the uh, teacher and me and so many other people would tell you is that as a Christian in the modern world today, asking the question of why is never going to be that helpful for you in terms of defining the world. Instead, take the world as it is, know it to be broken, know it to be confusing, know it to be full of contradictions and enjoy the simple joys of life as God has given them to you as a gift. He says, do these things, experience these things and remember me because in the confusing and uh, lack of control filled world, I am consistent and I am full of love. And so 
what's wild to me about this book is that this is a character. This is a character who's struggling to understand the, the world around him. But his advice to those who are gathered listening to him and the author, basically what the author is doing here is, is confirming those things. But what, what, what's being said is that we should enjoy the simple joys of life. And so the, the teacher concludes his teaching uh, in 12, 8. And then in 9 through 14, the author steps in to actually uh, to close everything together. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, besides being wise, the teacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many of the Proverbs with great care. The teacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly, he wrote words of truth. So in other words, he's saying the teacher taught them, these people, a lot of things. He weighed and studied. He spent a lot of time reading and, and really thinking about meditating on the word so he could make sense of these things. And he taught them a lot of words of delight that even though some of this stuff is negative, a lot of it was joy filled. And he found a lot of words of truth. And then he goes on to, he, he says, you know, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings. You're like, what does that mean? Eh. They are given by one shepherd. The words of all are given by one shepherd. Whoa, weird word, shepherd out of nowhere. Verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Because the end of the matter, all that has been heard, is to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So there's one shepherd, and we learn that that's God, and that this God brings everything together. His words, he brings everything together. And that this idea in, in verse 12, all of a sudden the author says, my son, my son, be, be aware of anything beyond these. The words beyond this, of making many books, there will be no end. And of much study is a weariness of the flesh. What he's saying is all kinds of people throughout the rest of the world are going to posit and hypothesize the reasons for why things are happening, why brokenness exists, why pain exists, why suffering exists. But be careful to not pay too much attention to those things because that's just going to lead to the weariness of your flesh. And it's just going to be confusing because they'll never end because there will never be an answer. So instead Fear God, love him, respect him completely, keep his words, keep his commandments, completely love God. Enjoy the little gifts of life, knowing that he's giving them for you to enjoy and remember him always. This is the lesson from the Koholeth. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons From series. Join us next time as we look at the history of Israel by looking at the story of the Chronicler.